Good morning. If you haven't already opened up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14, that's where we're going to start out our study this morning. Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. How does God feel about wealth? It's interesting that if we consider how God feels about wealth and we consider the entirety of the biblical perspective and how the Bible handles wealth and prosperity, it's interesting to consider that if we are honest, the Bible doesn't look at wealth as either absolutely good or absolutely bad. Rather, if we consider the entirety of the the perspective that the Bible gives us, we see that instead the goodness or badness of wealth is defined almost purely based on how we respond to it in our mind and in our actions. Just take examples uh, like Abraham and Job. They were very prosperous people at certain times in their lives, weren't they? But they were also very godly people. It is clear that wealth did not drag them down, that prosperity did not harm them spiritually. But then most people, what we see happen, like the rich young ruler and like Solomon, which we don't think that we're, we relate to them at all. Uh, we see them being brought down by wealth and controlled by wealth in their minds and in their actions. If you were here Sunday night a few weeks ago, we introduced the idea of spiritual mediocrity and lukewarmness and how we can be brought down by certain things. We desire to soar with great spiritual successes, but there are things that can hold us down and keep us lukewarm and keep us mediocre in our dedication and growth in Christ. And we talked about last time how desires of the flesh can attack our minds and bring us down. And today I want to talk about, uh, starting with this passage, here in Revelation, how wealth and prosperity can affect us. Because the Bible doesn't ever outright condemn prosperity, but it does speak of great, great dangers that are associated with prosperity. And I want for us to take these, uh, these things very seriously, because if we're here today, then we are among the prosperous people in the world. We are the rich of the world. We are the highly blessed of the world. And so we can see, I hope, how this will apply to us today. So uh, Stephen has already read for us Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. And I want you to notice... What the problem is there in verse 15, what Christ indicts the Laodiceans of being. He, what he associates here, what we will see is how he associates luxury and lukewarmness. Christ indicts them in verse 15 as neither hot nor cold. They're not hot. They're not on fire from the Lord. They're not growing greatly in dedication and leadership and other things and love and purity. But they're not, they're not cold either. They're not completely dead. This is not a congregation that's non-existent. They're lukewarm. And notice how Christ uh, feels about that there in verse 16. He says, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that should teach us something very serious from the beginning. If we associate our Christianity with lukewarmness, if we look at our lives and we think, man, I'm not really on fire for the Lord. That's his attitude towards us from the beginning. We cannot stay where we are. But why were they lukewarm? What had happened to the Laodiceans? You can notice that there in verse 17. Let's read it again. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered 
and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. If you would have walked up to the Laodiceans and asked them how they were doing, their response would have centered on how they were physically doing. Well, I mean, I feel great. I've prospered. I'm rich. I really don't have any needs. But Christ indicts them as pitiable, poor, naked, wretched people. There's obviously a disconnect there, isn't there? But why is there a disconnect? Notice how the Laodiceans have connected their physical well-being, their physical prosperity and wealth with their spiritual well-being and their spiritual wealth. Because they feel physically great, they feel as though they are spiritually great as well. And so they relax into lukewarmness. They relax into lukewarm Christianity. Uh, We can relate to this, can't we? Prosperity can do the same thing to us. The bills are paid. The house is in good shape. Uh, Our health is going well. The retirement is growing. Our career is growing. We're on track for that next promotion. Everything seems to be in order. We might even feel like saying life is great. I have no needs because the bills are paid because things are financially well. But what's the problem? What we have done is because we are physically on top, we have associated that with our spiritual health. We have decided that we are spiritually well because we are physically well. It's not that we necessarily specifically say this. Oh, because I have money, that means God is happy with how I'm living my life. It's a lot more insidious than that. It's something that is in our minds quietly telling us physical comforts have lulled us into a sense of ease. We feel good. And so we stop running the race so hard. We're satisfied Since we see this problem and since we've seen that Christ believes this is completely unacceptable, we need to overcome this relaxing effect of wealth. But how can we do that? How can we overcome this relaxing effect of wealth? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapters 8 through 9. And what we're going to see there is how Moses handles this very same thing with the people of Israel before they enter the land of Canaan. That is in page 152 to 153 in your pew Bibles, if you are using one of those. Deuteronomy chapters 8 and 9 are where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. And what we're going to see is how Moses here warns the people of Israel that because they are entering a land of prosperity and a land of wealth, there are things that can happen in their minds that will drag them down. So he warns against various actions and various mindsets and things that they might say as they experience wealth and prosperity in the land of Canaan. And what we're going to see is really four things for us to remember. Uh, The discussion begins at the beginning of chapter 8, but I want for us to come back to the beginning of chapter 8 later on for the finale. We're going to start in verses 6 through 11, and we're going to notice here the first thing that Moses tells the people of Israel to do is to take care to keep God's commands. Notice with me verses 6 through 11 of Deuteronomy 8. 
So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now notice the exhortation in verse 11. Take care. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Notice very carefully the connection that Moses makes. It's not a connection. These connections are not things we normally make in our mind. He says, because you are about to enter prosperity, don't forget the Lord's commands. Moses is warning against the first thing, the first thing we can do to be dragged down into lukewarmness and mediocre Christianity. We can easily, when we experience prosperity, we can easily forget the Lord by not keeping his commands. As we grow in wealth and sophistication and education, it is easy for us and almost natural for us to become puffed up and to think much of ourselves And to think the rules don't really apply to me. This is not just true from this command or this warning here. Rather, this is a theme that we can see throughout scriptures. Uh, Just consider when Christ came to earth, who was it that accepted Christ's radical life transformation that he called people to? But what was what were the people like? For the most part, it was those who were poor Those who were troubled, those who were weak, and those who were sick. Not the rich. Most of the rich rejected Christ. As Paul says in Corinthians, where's the wise? Where's the debater of the age? They're not here. That's not something we like to admit. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, that it will be very difficult for the rich to find salvation in Christ. As a very prosperous nation, that's not a reality that we like to accept. But Moses warns us here. Would you experience riches and prosperity and growth and wealth and education Be careful. Watch yourself. It is so easy for us to strut around and because of our physical comforts, not feel the weight and the seriousness of God's commands. It is so easy for us to break God's commands and to get over our guilt very quickly. Why do we get over our guilt very quickly? Well, we feel good. We've got the comforts, the soft clothes, the education. We're successful by this world's standards. And so guilt for sin just kind of melts away because of prosperity. But the reality is that we have not found a higher wisdom. The reality is that we are self-deceived because of our prosperity. And so the first thing Moses tells us to do is to take care. Keep God's commands. 
The second thing he tells them to do is seen in verses 11 through 18. He tells the people of Israel there to beware to remember who blessed them. Well, we'll go ahead and read verse 11 to keep the context. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you uh, water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So notice again the rare connection that we do not often make in our own minds. When you experience prosperity and wealth and grow in physical successes in this world, beware. Don't forget the Lord. He's warning against the second thing that we can fall prey to whenever we experience good times. We can think, as verse 17 says, my power has got me here. We think, well, well, the Lord is the one who has gotten me through all these hard times. How could I ever forget him? I wouldn't ever forget him. But he says we forget him. It's not that we become atheists or something like that. It's that we forget him by saying that the power that we have, the might in my hand, my decisions that I've made have got me to where I am today. It is so easy for us to think these same things in times of success, to think self, just look at all the great decisions and and the hard decisions and the hard work you've put in to get to this station in life. Have we not heard that? Have we not said those very words? But why is this the fast track to lukewarmness? Why does Moses warn against this? Think about it. The moment you and I start dwelling on our power to bless ourselves, what have we forgotten? We've forgotten that God blesses us, certainly. But we missed the entire point of the Bible. What is the Bible all about revealing to us? What is it constantly revealing to us? God is great. God is merciful. God gives good gifts. And we respond. We learn whenever we see God's good gifts. Whenever we see how kind and gracious God has been in our salvation and in our physical blessings. And that drives life change. That causes us to think, wow, since God has been so good to me, I am going to change my life. But what we what have we done when we say I've blessed myself? We've cut that off at the very beginning. We've said... Actually, I'm not really that excited about what God has done for me. We read the scriptures and we think, yeah, I don't really see how God has answered prayer. I don't really see how God has gotten me to where I am today. Because, I mean, after all, isn't it true that I was the one who put in the hard work? 
And that takes us into lukewarmness because then we are no longer excited about what God has done. We're no longer then excited about life change because of what God has done. See, just think about Romans chapter 1. We, Romans chapter 1 contains a very famous listing of sins. But think all the way back to the beginning of Romans 1 when that discussion begins in verse 21. What does he indict them of doing? Knowing who God is, but not thanking him in their hearts or honoring him. This is how depravity begins, is by not thanking and honoring God for what he has done for us. It seems so simple. It seems like something that is just childish to say, to say that me thanking God with my lips and thanking God with my heart stops me from all types of sinning. But in reality, the Bible teaches us the very thing that can send us into depravity is a lack of thankfulness. And so I want to encourage you, if you look in your life and you see, I don't really have this excited faith. I'm not on fire. I'm not growing. Consider this as a possibility of why you are at where you're at. Wealth has put you into a sense of ease, potentially. Wealth has caused you to think about your own power, your own wisdom, the decisions you have made. And so instead, give God all the glory. Verbalize from your lips and from your heart how great He is and how great and how everything you have is from Him. Don't relish in your own strength. God has made us the way we are and given us blessings so that we will not boast in ourselves, but praise Him. And so... Beware to remember who blessed you when you experience times of prosperity. Notice in chapter 9, we'll go ahead and skip to, or skip to verses to chapter 9. And Moses is here going to warn the people of a third thing. To not say that this is because of my righteousness. As he speaks about there in, in verses 1 to 2, what he's doing is he's talking about the nations. Uh, and so we're, we're going to pick up in verse 3. As God refers to the nations that he's going to destroy, he's going to say there in verse 3. Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. And then he reiterates it again in verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness in your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. That he may confirm the word that the Lord spoke Swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So Moses makes another connection. He says, when you start having great successes over other people, when the Lord starts destroying these other people before them, beware. It's going to be very easy for you to say this. For you to look at the other nations who have been destroyed, who are not prospering as much as you, and say, wow, that God did that because of my righteousness. God says, no, you didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't do that because of your righteousness. I did not do that 
because of your righteousness at all. I did that because of their wickedness, because of the promise I made to you. And so this is the third thing that we often say or at least think when we look at how well things are going in our lives and we compare the lives of other people to our lives, we see that they have fallen, that they've not experienced good things, that they're having trouble. It's so easy for us to just stop and say, you know, I've had more blessings than them because I am righteous. Now, certainly there's an idea in Proverbs, isn't there, that if we make good decisions, if we follow God's wisdom, there are going to be good consequences. And if we make bad decisions, there's going to be bad consequences. But the whole point of what Moses is bringing up here is to teach us that we cannot deserve any of God's blessings by our righteousness, whether we're talking about salvation or whether we're talking about our physical blessings. Don't we hear and say these things pretty often? Someone else's life is a sham and the only reason we can think of is because of XYZ decisions that we've made and God's blessed me because of these righteous actions. Let's consider for a moment, why shouldn't we say that? Well, first thing this does is this creates a direct correlation in our minds between how we're prospering physically And how God thinks of us. And so if times are good, God is pleased with how I'm living. What are we going to do if we think that because times are good in prosperity, if we connect that to how God feels about our righteousness and how we live, we're going to start relaxing. We're going to start relaxing our pursuit. We're not going to run the race so hard. We're not going to pursue God so fiercely. Because after all, he's pleased with how I've lived my life and how much wealth I have acquired. Then, instead of physical successes being a reminder of how great God is and how much we want to pursue life with him, physical successes actually then become a reminder of how great we think we are and how great we think God thinks we are. The second problem with this is notice what Moses spends the rest of chapter 9 doing. He says, actually, this is not true at all. You're not righteous at all. Notice verses six and seven. He says, know, therefore, that the Lord, your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoke the Lord, your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. We can go on and you can even scan throughout the rest of chapter nine. Just notice what he does. He doesn't stop. He's been so uh, emboldened by this danger that he spends an entire chapter telling Israel how wicked they are. Yet, how much God has blessed them in spite of their wickedness. And so that's really where we can find the answer to this danger in our own lives. To fight against this danger, when we experience times of prosperity, we need to think like what Moses tells us to do here. Wow. I've done the same thing the rest of the nations have done. I've done the same thing other people have done, or at least similar things. I've sinned in similar ways. And really, my sinning, what it deserves me is a dark corner in the world with maybe some moldy bread and nothing more. But God has still blessed me in spite of that. Praise God. He has blessed me in spite of my lack of righteousness. 
And so we need to see the third thing that we need to see is to beware, beware to not forget who blessed us. Sorry, to to not believe our prosperity is because of our righteousness. And so that's three things that we have learned overall then to take care, to not keep uh, to remember God's commands, to take care, to not forget who has blessed us. And then to beware to not think our blessings are because of our righteousness. Notice then, I promise we go back to the beginning of chapter 8. Notice the fourth thing that Moses warns against in the beginning of chapter 8. He reminds us to remember that man does not live by bread alone. Start with me in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord your God, the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. Notice the lesson he's teaching them. Verse three. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So Moses says, the Lord disciplines you. He's teaching you something. What was he teaching them? By letting them hunger, by feeding them with manna that they had never seen before. Not bread, but manna. Letting them wander in a wilderness for 40 years. What was he teaching them? Man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Moses is doing here is he's, he's making a connection. He says, when we enter prosperity, the danger is going to be that you forget that lesson. That you forget all those years that you traveled in poorness and in difficulties. And you're going to forget how you even survived. How did we survive? You know, we kind of ask that question sometimes. We we think back to poorer times in our life. We think back to maybe when we first got married or when we were in college. And we think about where we were and we think, how in the world did we survive? We get the new car. We get the new clothes. We get the new home. We get the better job. And we think, I don't know how in the world we lived in that old house. Or how I drove that old car. Or how I went to that job every day. I don't know how I did that. It's a natural thing that we do. We don't don't know how we survived then. That's the same thing that Moses says the people of Israel are going to do. Whenever you experience the land of Canaan and the great things there, he says, don't forget how you survived. And notice how he tells them they survived. First, he tells them in verse 4, well, physically they survived because God blessed them. Their foot did not swell. Their clothing did not wear out. Essentially, Moses says, how else do you think millions of people survived in a desert for 40 years? It's because the Lord blessed you. But I think even more important, the second thing that we see how they survived is in verse 3. They survived and they thrived spiritually because of God's word. This is the thing that we see that God was teaching the people of Israel. He was teaching them by allowing them to hunger and by allowing them to have hard times to realize where true life is found, where true sustenance is found. Because if they can be joyous, 
if they can survive, if they can have true spiritual life, though they have very little, though they are in a desert, though they're with little food, they can learn that God is the one who sustains them. God's word is the thing that brings true joy. God's word is the thing that feeds them. God's word is the food that satisfies us. It's the manna that fills us that we sang in the song this morning. It's something that we've learned in John 6 as Brennan has been preaching through John. He provides the food. We're going to apply this concept in just a moment. But I want for us to consider the overall message. Paul tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And through it, many God-fearers have been destroyed. And so I want to ask you, are you really excited about God and His Word? Or have comforts lulled you into a sense of ease? To avoid mediocrity and soar with spiritual successes, we must take care to listen to what Moses has to tell us here. He gives us a very clear guide of how to handle prosperity. The first thing he told us is to not forget God by forgetting his commands. It is so easy for us to have our guilt taken away because we feel so great here on earth physically. And the second thing he tells us to do is to take care to not forget God by not giving him the glory, by thinking our strength has gotten us where we are. And so I urge you, give God the glory in times of prosperity, in times of physical successes. Be a person defined by prayer and thankfulness to God in your heart and in your lips. And the third thing he has told us to do is to not think that God has blessed us physically and spiritually because we earned it due to our righteousness. But overall, I think the most important thing is the, thing, is the lesson that we learned in the beginning of chapter 8. When we experience times of blessing and prosperity and wealth and physical successes, remember where the source of true life is found. When you physically feel on top of the world, I want you to think, when finances are going great, when your car is running great, when you love your home, when your health is great, I want you to think, this isn't true living. Ask yourself, when times feel great, why do I think times are great right now? Is it because things are physically going great? Is it because I've been comforted from the physical things around me? If so, why do I feel so good about my spirituality? Do I feel great because the things around me are physically comforting me or because I have been pursuing the word of God and that is satisfying me and sparking growth and life change in my life? That's sparking more love, that's sparking more desires to be close to Christ, more desires for his people, more desire to be more loving, more desires to be more patient, more desires to be more self-controlled and to lead and to be evangelistic. Is that why I feel good? Or is it because of something else? Has something else deceived me? So I want to urge you, don't be satisfied by cheap physical life and allow yourself to be dragged into spiritual comfort and ease. Seek real life by not caring as much if your physical life is just going perfectly, if your wealth or health or success is growing or dying. Don't care so much about that. 
Put your stock in real life. Put your stock in God and His Word and constantly pursue Him to have the good life. When you experience success and prosperity, beware. Be very careful. Don't be destroyed. Remember where true life is found. The beauty is that when we come into a relationship with Christ, He is constantly pursuing us, constantly trying to seek us where we are in our life. And so if you see in your life as the Laodiceans that you have experienced luxury and become lukewarm because of it, Christ still pursues them there in that passage. He still wrote them the letter to tell them to get back on track, to pursue Christ once again. To pursue pursue the real treasures in life. You can do that this morning. You can start by making a decision in your mind to pursue God, to pursue real life, to not pursue cheap life. And so if there's any way we can encourage you in that way to accept Jesus Christ's grace that He desires to pour out on your life, we urge you to do that. If you've not started a relationship with the Lord It just starts by putting our faith in Him, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and coming to Him and being baptized in faith. Being baptized in water so that our sins are forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Then we will be able to raise up and walk a new life and experience true joy and experience true life. And have the security that we have a home in heaven with Him. Without repentance, without Him. We can leave, we will leave here trembling. Don't leave here trembling. Leave here with the security of true life. If there's any way we can help you, talk to us afterwards or come to the forge to the front. Always stand while we sing.